0: Psalm 31. I seek refuge in you. Let me never be disgraced. Save me by your righteousness. Listen closely to me. Rescue me quickly. Be a rock of refuge for me. A mountain fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. You lead and guide me for your namesake. You will free me from the net that is secretly set for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hand I entrust my spirit. You have redeemed me, Lord, God of truth. I hate those who are devoted to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your faithful love because you have seen my affliction. You know the troubles of my soul and have not handed me over to the enemy. You have set my feet in a spacious place. Be gracious to me, Lord, because I am in distress. My eyes are worn out from frustration. My whole being as well. Indeed, my life is consumed with grief and my years with groaning. My strength has failed because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. I am ridiculed by all my adversaries and even by my neighbors. I am dreaded by my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street run from me. I am forgotten, gone from memory like a dead person, like broken pottery. I have heard the gossip of many. Terror is on every side. When they conspired against me, they plotted to take my life but I trust in you, Lord. I say you are my God. The course of my life is in your power. Rescue me from the power of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your faith shine on your servant. Save me by your faithful love, Lord. Do not let me be disgraced when I call on you. Let the wicked be disgraced. Let them be quiet in Sheol. Let lying lips that arrogantly speak against the righteous in proud contempt be silenced. How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you. In the presence of everyone, you have acted for those who take refuge in you. You hide them in the protection of your presence. You conceal them in a shelter from human schemes, from quarrelsome tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his love to me in a city under siege. In my alarm, I said, I am cut off from your sight. But you heard the sound of my pleading when I cried to you for help. Love the Lord, all his faithful ones. The Lord protects the loyal, but fully repays the arrogant. Be strong and let your heart be courageous, all you who put your hope in the Lord. Well, parents of our children up through grade one, if you'd like, you can have your children be dismissed for a time of Bible instruction. And the rest of us, take your Bibles and find your way to Psalm chapter 31. Your guest here, we are thankful that you've chosen to join with us. We hope that uh, the truths we've sung and prayed and spoken of already have been an encouragement to your heart. If you're not a Christian and uh, what we've sung about this morning has uh, piqued your curiosity, we'd love uh, to talk with you more about what we've sung about. Psalm chapter 31. This psalm is a bit tricky. Scholars, uh, debate on how to classify this psalm. Uh, some of it is full of praise and thanksgiving. Other parts of it, at the same time, are full of despair and lament, which makes it difficult for scholars to put it into a particular category. But when you think about it, it really kind of describes life, doesn't it? Uh, times of great joy and, uh, and, and blessing at the same time, than being plunged into times of distress and despair. Life is often like a roller coaster the ebbs and flows, the ups and downs. We find ourselves uh, these changes in life happening quickly, kind of taking your breath away, either from, you know, delight or from distress. This is the unfortunate reality of life in this sin-cursed world, and this was the experience of the author of Psalm chapter 31, David, king of Israel. David knew what it was like to be in times of great distress. He uh, experienced A lot of that, even as a youngster in the sense of tending a shepherd's fields, he faced the threat of wild animals. Of course, as you continue to follow his life through the Old Testament, you see him being surrounded by times of great blessing, at the same time being surrounded by times of great adversity. Psalm chapter 31 gives us an example of a child of God enduring and living by faith through times of distress. To the ebbs and flows of life where you find your heart in deep desperation. Psalm 31 is a roadmap for enduring distress in life in a way that brings glory to God. How are Christians supposed to handle despair? How are Christians going to handle distress? If you had a Christian friend that was in the middle of distress and despair, what counsel would you give them? How would you walk with them through that portion of life? Well, today our aim is not to exhaust all that could be said from Psalm 31. There's a lot here. I'd encourage you to come back to it again. But our aim this morning is really of this sermon is to help us understand this psalm so that we are equipped for our own hearts. We can navigate the distressing circumstances in our own lives. And at the same time, I want us to understand Psalm 31 so that we are equipped as a church family to help one another. We have God's word and we are equipped with it so that we can take word, uh, a word from the word, so to speak, and minister encouragement and hope to our brothers and sisters in Christ. So uh, we're going to jump into the middle of the psalm and uh, here's kind of the roadmap. I'm going to jump into the middle of the psalm so we get a taste for the distress that David is facing and then I'm going to try to summarize really the main themes of Psalm 31 um, in some Uh, helpful, practical takeaways for us that will be, I think, useful for our everyday living. Uh, So that's kind of the roadmap that we're going to use uh, this morning. So we're going to jump into the distress that David found. Verse 2 and verse 4, really even in the opening lines of this psalm, which are full of confidence, right? God's a refuge, he's a strong fortress, he's a tower. I mean, all these words and expressions of confidence, even still there are tones of desperation, tones of trouble there. Look at verse 2. Incline your ear to me, rescue me speedily. be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. So even in these opening lines, you hear this desperation of David needing to be saved. Verse four, "You take me out of the net they have hidden for me, but you are my refuge." Again, this word picture of people that are plotting to overthrow him and destroy him. Now jump down to verse nine. He gets into a more detailed description of the trouble that he's faced. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. David's distress is severe. Maybe you felt like you could have read some of those words this past week or this past month. He's vexed. He's vexed by troubles. He's so troubled in his soul that it's it's affecting his physical well-being. And in verses 11 through 13, he tells us even more. He tells about how his adversities, um, uh, through his adversities, those that are around him consider him a reproach. Uh, his acquaintances are avoiding him. His friends, I mean, they see him coming down the street and they cross the street just to get away from the guy because it looks like things are going badly for him. Stay away from that guy. David was um, uh, feeling so perplexed because of the abandonment that he felt in life as all of those that were around him forsook him. We don't know the specific occasion that prompted him writing this this psalm. Uh, We don't know everything about David's life. We know what God wants us to know through the narrative record in the Old Testament. But there's a variety of occasions that we might choose. Uh, I mean, he was anointed to be king, right? And King Saul, the the current king, was chasing him down with the army. And there were times where he was running for his life from the king, from the king and his army. There were other times where he was... um, uh, when he started his, his, his reign in Israel, it was a divided kingdom. And then when he was king, eventually his own son ran a coup and pushed him out of the palace and, uh, and overthrew his, his, uh, his reign there. There's numerous times where he could have called out in these kinds of terms of distress. Whatever the specific trouble that David faced, it seemed like everywhere he turned, you see in verse 13, this was the description, terror on every side. In fact, that phrase, terror on every side, has been lifted out of Psalm 31 by other biblical authors. Jeremiah, the prophet, often called the weeping prophet, he used that term at least five times when he was writing about the terror that was happening in his day. Terror on every side. Have you ever been or are you presently in circumstances like that? Where you wake up or in your day you just feel your heart kind of just fall within you and you are just saying in your soul there is terror on every side what are Christians to do when we face times of deep distress and despair like that well this morning we're going to try to use Psalm 31 to feed our souls spiritually so that we are equipped for our own path of distress and to help equip one another as we go through paths of distress what are we to do number one talk to God often talk to God often where does this come from in Psalm chapter 31 It's really the entire psalm. Psalm 31 is basically David talking to God. He's having a conversation to God while he is in the middle of his distress. And so if we were just to lift the entire emphasis of Psalm 31 up and try to put it into a so what statement, it would be this, talk to God often. This is helpful for us. Because often, when distress strikes, when we find ourselves uh, in despair, we're struggling. We're struggling to know how to respond. What do we even say? How honest can we speak to God? But yet, thankfully, God has given us His Word, and God's Word is what brings life to His people. So, I want to stop here and give us an encouraging word about this this morning. When you are in distress, please keep talking to God. I don't know how you're wired, but maybe when you're in desperation, you just start to clam up and turtle in and kind of go into dark places in your soul, trying to survive that storm. But when darkness descends on you, please keep talking to God. And you say, well, I don't know what to say. We're going to get to that in a little bit. But the first thing is, please keep talking to God. This is the example that we have recorded for us in Psalm 31, and it's an example that God intends for his people to follow after. In fact, there's other examples of this in our scriptures, Job being one of the most familiar ones, probably, for many of us. All through that that account, Job is saying a lot of things, but a lot of it was this. God, where are you? God, give me a moment to talk to you. Lord, hear my cry. Let me make my case in front, of you, in front of you so that you can make a judgment about my circumstance. But all through it, what Job did well is he continued to talk to God. This is what David is doing in Psalm 31 and this is what you and I should do too. But I want to help us understand also how a healthy church can be a gift of God's grace to those who are hurting in times of despair. It's a blessing to have a church family a family of brothers and sisters in faith who will help you and encourage you and even talk to God with you or even when you don't want to, will encourage you to continue to press on in your relationship with the Lord. Is there someone you can think of in this church family? Someone that you know that is in distress that perhaps you could help this way? Would you prayerfully consider this week reaching out to them, whatever way that is supposed to work well in that relationship and do that just so you can come alongside of them and say, I'm here, let's talk to God and they say, I can't. My heart is just quiet. I feel like God has abandoned me. But would you enter into that with them and crowd to the Lord on their behalf and use Psalm 31 as a blueprint. So in general, Psalm 31 is setting the example for Christians in distress to talk to God often. But what should we say to God? Have you ever been there? Your heart's in deep distress, there's this desperation in your soul, and you're thinking, what do I even say? Well, Psalm 31 helps helps us understand what to say. Number two, review God's character. Talk to God often. Number two, review God's character. Much of David's prayer in Psalm 31 is based on, or it's built on, it's formed around God's character. Uh, This means that Psalm 31 teaches us a lot about God, which is instructive for us as Christians as we desire to grow in our praying a lot of the prayers in the scriptures are really just reviews of God's character or they're built on the foundation of who God is and his character. And so I'm going to go quickly, okay? I already talk fast, so I might even talk faster here, but I'm going to try to just let us review a list of the character that is encased in Psalm 31 that David is rehearsing, he's reviewing, and he's using as the foundation for his prayer when he's in desperation. Verse 1, God is a refuge. He is righteous. He hears us and he saves us. Verse 3, God guides us. Verse 5, He is trustworthy. He redeems us and He is faithful. Again, verse 5. In verse 7, God is steadfast in love. Verse 9, God is gracious. Verse 15, God knows us. In verse 19, God is good. In verse 19, again, he is working for our benefit. He uses that goodness for the blessing of his people. Verse 20, he protects his people. In verse 22, he is merciful to his people. In verse 23, he preserves us. In verse 24, he ultimately comes through for us. David's prayer is based on and formed around God's character. So how does this function then in a prayer of distress, in times of desperation? God's character functions like an airplane pilot's instruments do. When an airplane, when a a pilot, I'm not a pilot, but I imagine, right? You've read stories, right? When a pilot is flying a plane and he's in clouds, he can't see around, that pilot has to depend upon the instruments. The instruments are what is telling him the truth of what's going on around the aircraft. If if that pilot is feeling like things are different, if, if that pilot starts thinking, no, I feel like we're kind of turning upside down a little bit and starts correcting based on feeling, bad things will happen. The instruments are there to make sure that the pilot gets the plane and all of us, right, through that cloud. God's character, it seems in chapter 31 of Psalm, God's character is functioning kind of like the instruments on an airplane, telling the the pilot the truth. David is sitting here looking at this instrument panel and he's seeing all of the character of God. He's reviewing it and rehearsing it and he's crying out to God based upon God's character. So then in review, what are Christians to do in times of distress? One, we talk to God often. Two, we review God's character. And three, we trust God's character. Or we trust God completely. This is where we're going to spend really the remainder of our time together in this psalm because the main emphasis of Psalm 31 is this idea of trust. And that's because of the poetic phrases that David uses of rock and of refuge and of fortress. And you might think, well, that's just descriptions about God. It sounds nice and I'm glad that God was like that for David, but you don't know the circumstances in my life. That may be true But the words that David is using to describe God with those terms of rock and fortress and and refuge are a poetic phrase of saying, trust God. And I'll prove it to us in a minute, but hang on a second. Notice how frequent he uses those terms. I mean, in the opening of, of, of the psalm, in you, O Lord, do I take refuge. This is like a declaration, just a statement. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your namesake, you lead me and guide me. Look again at verses 2 and 3. Do you see any apparent contradiction there? I mean, verse 2, David is asking God, be my rock and refuge. Then in verse 3, David is saying, you are my rock and refuge. What happened in one, you know, between those two verses? Wouldn't you love to have that power, right? Going from, God, be my rock and refuge, and then suddenly, God, you are my rock and refuge. What is happening here? Which one is it, David? David, I believe it's both. I believe what's happening here in verses 2 and 3 is we are seeing the difference between the knowledge of the mind and the experience of the heart. I believe what's happening in verses 2 and 3 is that David is asking that he would enjoy In his experience, what he is grasping about God by faith. And that's where a lot of our desperation happens. Longing for us to know by experience in our hearts, and our function, what we know about God, what we grasp about Him by faith. David wants to grasp about God by faith in his mind, but he wants more than that. He wants to enjoy the realities of that in his experience. For instance, how often might we say something about what we believe about God? But then if we were to examine our life over the past week or month, we might say, well, we really haven't functioned like that. We might say that, but do we function that way? Our minds know something about God, but in our hearts we haven't embraced it yet, which means we're not willing to function in the truth of what our minds may know. Really, take any attribute of God and test test yourself. Try it out. God is good. I think Really, this church family in here would, if you were given a multiple choice test, is God good, yes or no, you would pass that test. But think about this last week or last month or the last few months. You have had occasions where you maybe have genuinely questioned whether your experience in life is equitable with God declaring himself as good or God as sovereign. A big word, lots involved in that word. We might say, yes, God is sovereign, right? But then calamity strikes, disaster strikes, you're in despair and distress, and then you suddenly think, boy, I'm not really functioning as if I truly have embraced that truth in my soul. So then, based on Psalm 31, what's happening here is David, it, it's, it's showing us that it's okay to pray like this God, I know you are a refuge, be mine. It is okay when you are in distress to pray like this. God, I know you are good. Lord, pour out your goodness on, on me, on us. Lord, you you say you are merciful. I know you are merciful. God, pour out your mercy on us. It is okay to pray like that when you are in distress. God encourages it. David is strengthening his soul, his resolve in the faith to go through times of distress and desperation by rehearsing and reviewing the character of God and letting that form the foundation of how he relates them to God. What does it mean then for God to be our rock, our refuge, our strong fortress? What does that look like? For instance, if one of the kids in the Bible time downstairs were to come up and ask you, what does it mean that God is a rock and refuge? How would you dis- what would you say? These are a description that we like about God, right? We sang about it this morning. (laughs) It's encouraging and comforting, but what does that mean? I believe David's words are an example, an invitation even, for Christians to endure distress by trusting God. Now I want to prove it to you. Remember David's historical experience? It's recorded for us. There were times where he was being hunted by King Saul and the army. Often when that would happen, David would flee into the mountains and the mountains became his fortress, so to speak. The rocks of the mountains became his fortress. There were other times where he would flee from Saul and he would run into a fortified city that was outside of Israel's borders. He was living nomadically like that. Those mountain rocks, those, those fortress walls became to him that refuge. God then is our rock, he is our refuge, our fortress when... We trust Him. you say, well, this is so obvious. Why did I I come out on a Sunday morning to hear that? But think about it. You will never know the protection, security, and peace offered by a strong fortress if you will not enter it. So we could say all day long, God's a fortress, He's a rock, He's a refuge. But if we will not embrace that truth in our hearts so that we experience Him as our rock and refuge through trust, then it's just a description out there for somebody else. This is part of what it means to live by faith. You will only enter a fortress if you believe it will protect you. So look at the personal words in in verse 3. He says, For you are my rock and my fortress. This is again these expressions of faith. This is not David writing a theory. He is describing his real experience of God being his rock and refuge. God is the one who guides him. Look at down in verse 14. He says, "But I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God." Again, this is coming from the heart of a desperate man who is putting all of his confidence in God to be the fortress that will protect his soul. You will only enter a fortress if you trust it to be a place of protection and peace. So a question for us this morning, is God your rock? Is the Lord your fortress? Where have you gone in the last three days for that sense of peace and security in life? You might know that God is a refuge, but is He your refuge? You might intellectually understand that God is a strong fortress. You may have heard others talk about this, even share stories about it. But in what do you take refuge? What is functioning? right now as your rock. You see, when God is not our refuge, we try to be our own or we try to find an alternate. We try to control our lives as if we're sovereign and we work ourselves into even deeper levels of distress, don't we? Or we try to have confidence in a bank account or a retirement plan or your influence and position in society or work. Or maybe you might run, be tempted to run towards a, a controlled substance as if it's a refuge or you think of your health as a refuge or perhaps it's a human relationship. We're creative creatures, aren't we? We look all over. We are finding a place of peace, but it always eludes us. Psalm 31 is an invitation to experience the peace our hearts long for most. The peace that can only be experienced when God is your refuge. Now, I want us to look at one of the greatest expressions of trust in this psalm. Look at verse 5. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. When God is your refuge, your strong fortress, it means you commit your spirit, you surrender your life entirely into God's care. Now, when your physical existence is under the threat of extinction, Christians find peace by entrusting their entire existence into the hands of God. Now This phrase, into your hands I commit my spirit, is familiar to a lot of us in here, uh, members of this church family, not because you knew it was in Psalm 31, but because you know that somebody else said these words, right? You're thinking of Jesus on the cross. And that's true. In Luke chapter 23, Jesus exampled this. When he was on the cross, Jesus was quoting from Psalm 31 right before he gave his life as a ransom for our sin. It says, Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathes his last. Jesus, in the middle of distress and despair, what is he drawing from? He's drawing out of Psalm 31 and praying that to God, an expression of trust. Now notice when Jesus prayed this, he wasn't asking God to rescue his physical life from Roman execution. He wasn't resting his existence physically and existentially in in, in some strategy that he might come up with. He was resting it entirely into the care of God. And these words capture the sense of surrender that Jesus had to God the Father every day. If you go back a little bit further in Jesus' life, you'll read the account of before he was arrested and then led to the cross, he was in a garden praying. And again and again, Jesus was uttering these words, Lord, not my will, but yours. These words of surrender, that that theme of surrender to God the Father entirely is, is what you see Jesus live out perfectly day after day. And this really leads us to the core of what makes Christians uh, have such hope. It's the gospel. This brings us to the heart of what gives Christianity hope, this news of God sending Jesus to be the Savior of sinners. You see, Jesus was betrayed, he was denied, he was rejected, he was forsaken by everyone, and he did all of that, In, in all of that, he trusted and put himself in God the Father's care. He did this as a perfect substitute he did it for you and for me so that we could be rescued from our sin. And he did this so that we could know God as our Savior and not as our judge. And because Jesus trusted God the Father like this, so can you. question is, have you? Is God your refuge? This is, a, this is what it means for Christians, for God to be a refuge. It's not that God is just kind of out there when you have a near miss uh, you know, out on the road driving and you're like, oh God, thank you for watching over me. He's, he was my rock right then. No, we're we're talking about something much more personal than just this kind of out there spiritual force that kind of watches over you from time to time. But a real present help to rescue you from the real present guilt and shame of your sin. The regrets and the guilt that you carry with you to your bed at night when you pillow your head. That voice inside of you that you cannot silence and you try with all other different ways. Where does that peace come from to have that silence? It comes through God being your refuge, through Jesus Christ being your Savior. It means you embrace God's gift of Jesus as your full payment for sin, bringing you into right relationship with God. And the Bible describes it this way. You who are an enemy of God are now his friend, his child. If you would like to learn more about what that means, if that's new for you or still unclear for you, Really, that is what it means to be a Christian, to embrace Jesus as your refuge. It doesn't mean you just do religious things. It means you have your sins forgiven through Christ. If you would like to know more about that, please find one of us and ask us more questions because we would love to sit down and have an opportunity to tell you more about Christ this way. So then Jesus quoted these words from Psalm 31 when he gave his life, demonstrating this full trust in God. And I believe this is important for us to understand what it means then for God to be our rock and refuge in our times of distress, especially in our day of where popularly or commonly Christians kind of have this idea of health, wealth, and prosperity. Consider what it looked like when Jesus uttered these words. He was on a cross being killed. It means then that when he was in the middle of this enormous physical and spiritual suffering, when he committed his spirit into the hands of God, it didn't mean that the Roman officials did a stay of execution. It doesn't mean that uh, he was suddenly, all the false accusations that were hurled up against him were like, oh, disproved, yep, we got it wrong, oops. None of that happened. He died. But nevertheless, Jesus found peace by entrusting his entire existence into the good hands of God the Father. So then what does this mean for all of us? It means this. It means that trusting God completely and having Him as your rock and refuge does not mean that bad things won't happen to you. Dreadful things even. God as your rock and refuge does not mean you're going to be cured. It doesn't mean your financial debt will be erased. It doesn't mean that, that you're promised a promotion at work. It doesn't mean that she's going to say yes. It means this. It means that God's providential plan for you is going to include... Maybe all those kind of good things. Maybe she will say yes and you now you have a date for the, for the wedding. Great. But it doesn't mean that because God was your rock and refuge, good things are going to happen to you. It means this, that God is your rock and refuge whether good things or bad things happen at all. That's the whole point of the rock and refuge. And Jesus modeled this perfectly with his disciples in Luke chapter 8. We've referred this a couple of times even in our series in Psalms. But in Luke chapter 8, Jesus and his disciples get in, boat, get in a boat and they're traveling across the Sea of Galilee. Jesus falls asleep. And I know this is probably an overused example, but it's useful, so just let it work itself into your heart again. Jesus is asleep. You can sleep inside of a fortress. It may be a big storm. It may be scary. And by the way, it was, because look at the others that weren't asleep in that boat. I mean, what are they doing? In the windstorm, it was filling with water. The boat was filling with water and they were in danger and they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And Jesus is asleep. He awoke, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm, and He said to them, "Where is your faith?" Notice how Jesus there, in that account, connects God as their refuge, what He modeled with trust, with faith. So then, when you are in times of distress, trust God completely. I want to make sure we understand Psalm 31 accurately. Because what happens is we can trust a circumstance we want from God instead of God. And so then, when that circumstance doesn't come through, our confidence in God is shattered. But God was not the object of our faith at all. And so, Jesus modeled this. He shows, that what, it, he shows what it looks like to trust God completely when you were in times of desperation and distress. I entrust my spirit into your hands, God. What come, what may. And there's other examples in the Old Testament, in the New Testament that describe this. Uh, Stephen uttered these words when he was being martyred. And there's other ones that we can draw from. But friends, I want us to understand that when we enter into the fortress of God as our refuge, it is a, you, you enter in by using the key of faith. Look at Psalm chapter 31, verse 15. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. What a blessed truth. Then in the middle of this psalm about desperation and distress, David has the confidence to say this. My times are in your hands. This means all of our times. This means our good times, our bad times, our times of plenty and our times of poverty. Many events in our life are evil and grievous, yet God rules over them all and he works all of them together in the long run for good. So that means then our Times of strength and weakness are times of health and sickness. All of our times are in God's hand. So you may feel rather lousy right now, like, man, I mean, Jesus, wow, he trusted God really good. I'm a loser. If If you could look into my life for the last 10 days, you would not see somebody who is living this out. But friends, I want to encourage you. Jesus did it perfectly for you. And, friends, how often over the past week, the past month, have you been full of worry or anxiety where you were unwilling to say, into your hands, I commit my whole existence? Friends, be encouraged. Christ did. And it is in him that we find peace with God. So, Psalm 31 is an invitation for you to enjoy that kind of peace in the midst of storms. It doesn't mean that all the bad things stop happening, it means this no matter the worst distressing circumstance that could burn your world down around you, you can still put your life in God's hands and know that in the end, he is ultimately working for good. So here at the end, beginning in verse 21, David comes to some conclusions. It's kind of a short um, burst of these conclusions. We're going to, conclude the way David did, by looking at these four. There's one in each verse, 21, 22, 23, and 24. But I hope will encourage us to press on in faith and to encourage each other in faith. Number one, give praise to the Lord. See verse 21, blessed be the Lord. Blessed. I mean, he's concluding a psalm out of distress and desperation with words of, God, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to bless you. Even when we are in distress, God's people are still able to give praise to God because God has wondrously shown His steadfast love to us. You see verse 21? He has wondrously shown His steadfast love to me. Too often we think that God's steadfast love would be the change in our circumstance or the deliverance from our particular predicament, the issue of despair and distress. Sometimes God intends for us to know His steadfast love by experiencing His love in greater measure while we are in the distress. Number two, remember God is near. Look at verse 22. I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight. But you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. It's like David's just summarizing his experience. The panic and the alarm of distress and desperation taking over his heart. It felt like God had abandoned him, but he was wrong. God heard the voice of his cries. So friends, don't trust your perspective. Again, this is why a healthy church is so important for your flourishing as a spiritual a creature in God's, in God's world. Don't trust your perspective alone. I can think of times in my own life where all I could see was like terror on every side. I remember being on a phone with a friend and I remember him telling me, Sean, I don't have anything I can tell you that, that you don't know, but you're not hearing me anyways. <laughs> but there was a time, but it was. God's word just kind of chinks through the armor of our, of our hardness. So it might feel like got is far off even this morning I mean, you maybe have sat here, heard people singing, heard a sermon preached, and your heart is just dead to it. Friends, God is not far off. God has promised He will never leave or forsake His own. And that's because Jesus was forsaken for you, so that you can have the confidence that you will never be forsaken. Number three, in verse 23, Love the Lord, all you His saints. This may strike us as odd, right? A command to love God in a psalm about distress. I mean, by the way, can you even do that? Can you even say, love me? I mean, really? Has that ever kind of hit you sideways? Like, how what does this tell us about God if God says, love me? I mean, what if you tried that out at home, husbands or wives? Love me now. I mean, what kind of response? Oh, okay. But we're not seeing things correctly there. It is a good thing to be invited to love the most lovely being. God knows that we are blessed most deeply, that our joy is deepest, our satisfaction is richest when we enjoy loving Him. He's inviting us into eternal riches when He commands us to love Him. It's like God is saying, I want you to have your cake and eat it. Because as the psalmist said in Psalm chapter 16, at my right hand are pleasures forevermore. But it may strike us as odd, but it doesn't when we understand there's a powerful connection between love and trust, isn't there? In fact, we are often, we can trust those, we can trust the people in our lives most deeply. I'm confusing the words here. Let me try that again. Those that we love most deeply are the ones that we ordinarily can trust most deeply. Love and trust are connected, which is why when there is a breach in trust in a loving relationship, it's so catastrophic. But friends, God will never break his relationship of love with you. Never. He sealed it with the blood of his Son. And so then, we are commanded, love the Lord. Friends, you can, right, you can get through pretty much anything in life if you are surrounded by people who what? Who love you. This is where David runs at the end of this chapter. Distress, desperation, what does he say? Love the Lord. There's a peace. He's a rock and a refuge. Love Him. Maybe, maybe you are finding difficulty trusting God today because you have neglected love for Him. But let me put it this way. There is no better way to fuel trust in God than with the fires of love for God. There is no better way to feel trust in God than with the fires of love for God. And then verse 24, number 4, I'll ask the music team to head this way. Courageously wait for the Lord. Verse 24 says, Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Times of distress wear us out. They wear us out. They wear us down. And like David, we need God. We want God to rescue us speedily. But times of distress seems so urgent for us but God doesn't run work on our timeline and so David ends with the words that we need to hear most keep waiting on the Lord as you read through the scriptures you're going to discover that waiting on the Lord is what every person of faith has to do and they have to do a lot of it we don't mind reading about other people who've waited on the Lord and seen God come through we don't like to be those people but friend I want to encourage you carry on be strong. Let your heart take courage. Yes, it's not easy. It, no, it, it's going it's to require strength and courage where you feel like you fail often, but waiting on the Lord will ultimately be worth it. And we could spend a whole sermon then of reminding each other of why it's worth it. But I'm going to give you one promise of why it's worth waiting on the Lord. I'm going to draw from 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, listen up, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So then, be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Let's pray.